Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the honor of talking to a national best-selling author and one of the co-hosts of The Dave Ramsey Show, Dr. John Deloney. You guys, this conversation was so much fun. Dr. John is a mental health expert and hosts his own show called The Dr. John Deloney Show, where he is used to taking listeners' questions and then giving his advice. So we took the opportunity to fire <laughs> off a few of our own questions to get his thoughts on. Such as, Dr. John, can you please explain to Steph that husbands cannot actually read minds? And Dr. John, is it normal for me to wake up mad at Kevin because he was mean to me in my dreams? And Dr. John, am I supposed to be apologizing to Steph <laughs> for being mean to her in her dreams? You guys, he also (laughs) gives some great advice in regards to raising kids. We can't wait for you to hear this conversation with our new friend, Dr. John Deloney. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in Central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph. Oh, he's going to be so much fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Well, especially because he's got the coolest personality, and you never know when you have a guest at his level That's if true. he's going to be cool, if he's going to be like, oh, it's a little boring, <laughs> but he's not. No, he's Super not. cool. Well, friends, our next guest serves as co-host of The Dave Ramsey Show, where he helps unpack the psychology behind finances. He's also a number one national best-selling author and host of the greatest mental health podcast ever, The Dr. John Deloney Show. Ladies and gentlemen, from Franklin, Tennessee, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Dr. John Deloney. Dr. John, what are you doing? <laughs> What's up? Man. It cracks me up that you have this awesome of a personality with your background and education. It's amazing to me. That's true. <laughs> you know, man, it's amazing that I'm employed. Um, <laughs> so every day that I still have a job, is it's a pretty great, great day. Well, first off, thank you for saying yes to us. And oh. I also, I want to start off sharing a story with you. Okay. So the other day... Steph and I are out on a date. We're driving back to the house, and the car in front of us had a bumper sticker that said, Dave Ramsey makes me drive this. <laughs> and so <laughs> Steph and I, of course, bust out laughing. Loved it. So one, I assume you have the same bumper sticker on your car. <laughs> Two, do you have any good stories from working at Ramsey Solutions or working with Dave Ramsey? Is there something that surprised you once you started working alongside him? Um, I mean, I, so like my whole... My whole professional identity before I took this job was not to exist on the internet. Um, <laughs> one of the one of my bosses two universities ago like called me in her office and was like, "Hey, you've worked here for four years. I have to put you on the internet that you work here because I would just skip photo shoots. I would skip all the website meetings and stuff. And so I feel like the first year or so, every day was like, "What are we doing? Like we're on a radio show. Like every day was was like." going out on stage and I'm trying to learn how to play guitar next to Eddie Van Halen. Right. <laughs> I think the two, like the, if I think off the top of my head, the two stories about Dave that are, I, I would not have guessed beforehand. One is he is like the greatest peer pressure of all time for doing cool stuff. And so really? he talked me into, uh, 
like I don't like to be on the, on a ladder. I don't like to look over a second story like railing. And he talked me into skydiving, which ended up being one of the funnest <laughs> things I've ever done in my life. And um, so that was pretty fun. But I mean, he's a, he's in his sixties, right? And you don't feel like you're going to get peer pressure to do uh, jump out of an airplane. <laughs> but he, that's how he rolls. And the other thing is, is he has taught me a lot in the last three years. Like I travel with him all over the country. So we have a lot of really, really, really like insanely early mornings and really, really late nights. That dude is the most insanely generous person behind closed doors you will ever meet. Like watching him hand tips out to folks and making sure he'll chase down a driver or chase down a like uh, somebody who carried a bag. I mean, it's wild. And I've seen folks at, in his sphere have no regard for the humans around them, right? The whole, they are the center planet of their solar system. Right. And that dude is just carries cash with the intent of I'm going to bless somebody. And so it's been a game changer for me. And it takes about two and a half seconds to completely transform somebody's day, week, year, whatever. So that's, those are the two cool things. Has the way you view finances changed since you've been with Dave Ramsey? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up, we didn't have a lot. And so I, um, I didn't know how money worked. I didn't know how wealth worked. I didn't know how wealthy people stayed wealthy. I didn't know how that stuff works. And when you get behind all of the nonsense on the Instagrams, you get behind all the nonsense on the TikToks, like they're, they're just playing a different game. And so, yeah, it's, it's just learning how money works and learning what patience looks like and learning what margin looks like and feels like. So, yeah, all that stuff's new to me. Um, it's been pretty, pretty transformative. What's been the best piece of advice he's ever given you with finances? Um, I've asked him personal, hey, I'm about to buy this. I'm thinking about buying this. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking about saving this. And the, the two biggest ones is don't owe somebody money. Like there's something transformative about your life when you don't owe anybody something. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one is never be afraid to slow down. It's just a, just a house. It's especially if it's not your home, right? So it's just mm. a house. It's just a piece of property and, and there will be another one. And I think I can get all, I got to have this guitar right now. If I don't get this one, right now, dude, there'll be another one. Like relax. Like for me, teaching me patience, just slow down. And for, for most of us, if our parents didn't have a jillion dollars, this is all new, right? This is all new. And so it's real easy to get caught up in the emotions of the newness of it all. And mm -hmm. just don't know anybody, man, to slow down, slow down, slow down. And when the time comes, the time will be ready. Are you listening to this? <laughs> he, if he has a gift card in his back pocket, it's burning a hole. It's burning a hole. I got to get rid of it. If he has birthday <laughs> cash, it's burning a hole. I'm like, why don't you just save it and really like... Get something that you want. He's like, babe, within a day, it's gone. Because here's what happens, Dr. John. She's like, hey, why don't you spend the money on this or this? I'm like, oh, I could have I could have spent something on me like three days ago. Yeah, who needs something for the family? <laughs> why would I want to so, do that? <laughs> so it sounds like your gift cards become our gift cards. Yes, that's exactly well, right. No. <laughs> so I've, no. I got to get rid of it as soon as possible. <laughs> Okay, so Dr. John, you are used to taking listeners' calls and questions, mm -hmm. okay? So if you don't mind, can we take a minute here to rapid-fire some questions from Steph and I? Bring them on. We're testing, To yeah. get your reaction. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to go first, Steph, or me? You can go first. Okay. First question, Dr. John. Can you explain to Steph here that husbands cannot actually read minds? Now, I'm going <laughs> to interrupt him because I, on his Instagram, he talks about this. We yes. need to... Speak what we want because husbands can't remind. See, I watch his Instagram. I know this. I know I'm going to get lectured about this because I watch no, his Instagram. No, here's, here's the simple thing. We think in pictures and we speak in words. What does that mean? 
That means when my wife comes in and says, can you help me clean up? Mm-hmm. I have a very distinct picture of what clean up means. That means nothing on the floor. She has a picture in her mind of clean up in that moment, which means everything needs to be able to be eaten off of. Yes! And so we both use the words clean up, or I might say, hey, let's go on a really hot date this weekend. And she's like, oh, it's amazing. I'm all in. I'm thinking, what helicopter are we going to take to what island? And <laughs> this, and she's thinking, oh my gosh, it's $7 taco night at, at Taco Hut. <laughs> and so uh, it's that we'll get the extra spicy ones and it'll be hot. So we use the same words, but we have very different pictures in our minds. And I love tacos and she likes romantic getaways, but we fly past each other. So I think, no, nobody can read each other's minds. Even when you think you can, husbands, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> And honestly, even if you're right, you're probably wrong. So <laughs> if everybody would be specific, and I know that's not how Hollywood does it, but if you would just be specific about what you need, and I would say this on behalf of husbands everywhere, give your husband a chance to show up as you want him to, not as you wish Disney would have presented him. I like that. That's really good. I like that. I love that. Okay, mine. Our daughter is now in middle school, so we're into hopefully not bullying, but the bullying stage, the drama stage, the hormone stage. What's the best piece of advice as a parent raising a middle school daughter? You should start drinking regular. <laughs> um, that's going to make a great clip for social media. See, yeah. I, I told her the same thing, John, so... Um, I think, uh, so here's something I did, uh, two years ago when my son entered into sixth grade, when he started middle school, when I started instantly transitioned from a minute by minute game and I moved to a year by year season by season game. So every Tuesday I take him to breakfast with me. And sometimes that breakfast is I'm running late and it's 15 minutes before I got to get him out and get him to school. And we eat at the same waffle house and I'm kind of a lunatic about what I eat and, we're, we're there every Tuesday. And so a couple of things happened doing that. One, he has learned over the last three years that he is worth my time, which is my single most important thing. The second thing is, is if you do something at the same, you, you develop a ritual that way, life shows up and happens. What does that mean? There's been a time, we have a, we have a 911 thing um, where I'll say, this is a 911 moment, get up and let's go. My kids know we don't ask any questions. We get up and we go. And there was a moment where a guy came in and was really, really stoned out of his mind. It was acting kind of berserker. And I'm a big guy. And so I said this, get up and we're going. And as we walked out, I saw a place where I could insert myself and help out the whole situation. And I paid for his meal. And I said, hey, everybody's got to go. And I think it's time for us to go. And he followed me out and he got in his car and he went home. So my son gets to see me like uh, this is just a couple of months ago. A guy, a waiter, I heard overheard him talking to his buddy and he goes, hey, I finally get to move out of this hotel and my friend's got a garage apartment I can finally get into and I think I'm going to have enough money. And I looked at my son and I winked and I said, hey, watch this. And I just tipped him insanely, right? And that guy chased us out to the parking lot and he's a big burly guy that's a cook at the Waffle House. But all I have to say is my son gets to watch life happen Mm -hmm. and then he gets to see his dad as a human And then he gets to know, I get to say like, hey, I'm really sad about this thing that happened at work. So he gets to see me over time and he feels as a middle schooler less crazy because what do all middle schoolers Mm. feel? I'm the only one going through this. And if my son gets to see me, hey, I'm really nervous about flying to wherever to give this talk to this company. I'm really nervous. My book's coming out and I'm super scared that people aren't going to like it. 
he gets to get little glimpses of, oh, I'm not the only one that gets nervous when I have a math test or whatever. And then the final thing is inevitably he'll say, hey, can I ask you something? And so I think um, middle school parents especially fall into this trap of every big talk has to be an event. The sex talk, the drugs talk, the hanging out with the friends we don't like talk has to be an event. And I think kids feel those events and they just put GPS pins in them and they're like, never doing that again. <laughs> but if just the sex talk just and it feels just like the, hey, this is how you change your tires talk they're much more likely to have a conversation with you because you're a safe person. It's not an event every time. And so that would be the number one. And the second one is make sure you and the person you're married to have a check-in every night because being with middle schoolers is tough. It's really hard and you can get distant really quickly. So just making sure you check in with each other and say, I still like you. Do you still like me? And they're like, I still like you. And it's almost, and then you can just kick it back up the next day. But those would be my two big ones. That's good. Well, first off, I'm impressed you take your son to Waffle House. I don't know what Waffle Houses are like there in Franklin, Tennessee, but here in Columbus, John, it could be very peaceful one minute, and then the next minute, it is like the next UFC fight out in the parking lot at our Waffle Houses. So, yes, that's one way to experience life. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm there at, I'm, we're there at 6.30, 7 in the morning, so there's usually not a lot, like, if you're fighting at 7, you need that's to true. get that. You need to fight, <laughs> and <laughs> I'll move my car for you. <laughs> All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, Obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. (laughs) Yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So my question here. Okay. All right. So I want to know, Dr. John, is this normal? There have been many times where Steph and I are getting ready in the morning and I can sense something's wrong. Something's off. Steph looks like she's mad at me. I ask her if everything's okay. And this has actually happened a few times. (laughs) And she will say, Dr. John, I had a terrible dream last night and you were not very nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's super normal. she, She is standing there like waiting for me to apologize. And so what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to apologize? Am I, so we've had this actually multiple times. <laughs> we have. It's true. All right. So this is A, super normal. And B, here's the uh, expectation that my wife and I have agreed on, the arrangement we've agreed on in our house. I have said, I don't like following you around saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you mad at me? So I have entrusted her with, I need you to treat me with integrity. If you are actually mad at me, I'm going to ask you to please honor me and tell me that you're mad at me and why. Mm-hmm. If I clearly don't know. And so in those mornings when I could feel it like, oh, you had a bad dream and I did something. And I don't even know what happened. <laughs> like, uh, <geez. laughs> and that's funny you say that because it just happened recently. But here's the deal. I don't ask. I don't ask. And that sounds callous and insensitive. And this isn't my wife, but in other couples, I'm not going to play this chase you around the house game to try to figure out like, what's wrong? Like, like, let's just be adults and tell me. And <laughs> if you, because here's what happens. She says, you cheated on me in my dream. Yes, and then yes! Right when she, Listen, right when she says it, she feels dumb for having said it. And then she gets mad at you because you were involved in a thing that made her feel dumb. Nobody wins that. Nobody wins. 
So if you just wait for a while, this, this, it turns from ah to that's kind of funny. Yes, it's so, so I just I don't ask. Gross. I don't ask. I don't ask. Oh, that's good. That's so good. <laughs> All right. Do you have any other questions for Dr. John? No, I, I, I have a question, Kevin. Why are you Why are you cheating on her and her dreams? Exactly. I was going to ask you that. I'm like, why? Because it's always like him cheating. But then recently he had where I was cheating. And I'm like, you're smarter than that. I'm like, come <laughs> on, Kevin. <laughs> so, yeah, that's clearly it's my fault. Yes. For, for having that dream. But why do people have those dreams? It's not like I would. I trust him. More than life itself. He'll never cheat on me. I, I know that I know that I know he will never <laughs> cheat on me. But why do we have these dreams? Uh, I mean, there's entire fields of dream psychology. My Off the cuff, my I think Brene Brown says we often dress rehearse tragedy. We often run oh. these, these the ruminations in our mind about worst case scenarios. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen? And um, sometimes I think our in a dreams is a good place for us to experience something and, and kind of do a dry run through what would happen and what would this feel like and then you happen to wake up and that smiling person sitting right next to you <laughs> having no idea we just had this fight so here we go <laughs> first off i'm having a lot of fun I'm having so this much is a fun. lot of fun all right so dr john for all of our guests i like to give a list of fun facts about the individual so listeners know what you've done what you've accomplished and i have not shared any of these with steph so you're going to see her genuine reaction to what I'm about to share. So if I'm off on any of these, please let me know. But this okay. should jog your memory and share some stories as well along the way. Okay. All right. Okay. Listen, you got to know this. You got to okay. know this. I, I just as a general rule, I just never get nervous. It just doesn't happen. I think I'm actually nervous now. Because my, <laughs> my, my, my nightmare is somebody's like, all right, let's go to the, the fun round. Remember in seventh grade what you said? And I'm like, oh, I said that. And this is how I get canceled. So go ahead, Kevin. Let him rip. Let him rip. All right, Steph. Growing up, Dr. John's dad was a homicide detective in the <gasps> Houston Police Department. Then his dad became a SWAT hostage negotiator. So, Dr. John. And then. Okay, oh, go ahead. What? And then. Halfway through my childhood, became a minister at a giant church there in Houston. So really? when I sit down with my therapist, my dad was a cop and a minister. And my therapist goes, oh, he's going to buy me a lake house. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> well, do you have any good stories then about your dad? Because I'm assuming he's just incredibly calm. Nothing probably phases him from being a hostage negotiator. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the some of the funny stories where that calmness actually like <laughs> it was kind of a thing. So... When you're a homicide detective, by the way, my dad's amazing. I'm flying to go visit him tomorrow. He's, he's incredible. Um, he's a criminal justice professor now at a university there in Texas. Okay. So um, he's an amazing guy. But when you're a homicide detective, your bell curve shifts. And what I mean by that is the three of us could be walking in an alley in the middle of the night a thousand times, 999 times, nothing happens. Like somebody walks the other way and nothing happens. We just all pass each other. One time out of 10,000, that person, as they're walking by, pulls out a hatchet and just chops us up in little pieces, right? Well, that thing that never happens is 100% of my dad's day as a homicide uh, detective. That's all he does is those moments that never happen statistically, right? except that's all of his day. And so it shifts the bell curve to this happens all the time. Like an example, I was nine or 10 and we went to a, my little league practice and I ran out the back door, hopped in his, in the car and drove to little league practice 
and my mom must have been somewhere. And we come home an hour or two later, and I'm in this North Houston suburb, the safest of all safe places that's ever existed on the planet Earth. And we have a high fence from our driveway to our back door. And I left the back door standing wide open. And my dad turns and looks at, and I'm thinking, oh, the bugs, because in Houston, there's going to be like mosquitoes the size of birds. And my dad looks at me and he says, I knew it. And he pulls open his jacket and pulls a gun out and clears the house room <laughs> by room. And I remember being nine or 10 thinking, this is a lot, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we're good, right? But that bell curve had shifted. And so there, the amazing thing is, man, I learned a lot about where you sit, head on a swivel. Where's the threat? It could come from here. Hey, can you see this big picture? I learned honestly how to get away with a lot when I was a kid because- Dude, you try to be a, a teenager trying to get away with stuff and you're not going to get away with much when your dad's a homicide detective, right? And so that was tough. I also had a ringside seat, which is the thing that's led most directly to my current life is people would call him all the time for help. And so I had a ringside seat to a hostage negotiator helping somebody walk through a problem. And it's just so ironic that that was my job this many years later. I've got different training than he had, but... So just listening to how he would walk people through, here's what you need to do next. And if you thought about this and tell me about the state of this, that laid such a groundwork there. But he's got a lot of uh, great, great stories that I hope he writes down one day, but just the wildness of it all. But um, I'll leave him to tell some of those stories. But those are a couple of my favorites. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. So as a parent, you know, sometimes our kids are fussy whitey and, you know, we've had a day and we raise our voice or we just lose it. As a hostage negotiator, did he ever lose it on you or was he just always very calm when disciplining you? No, there was, there was, <laughs> I have a spiritual gift for pushing buttons. I'm told. So yes, yeah. Um, and, and like losing it looks differently. Mm -hmm. um, oh, true. Some people true. get out of control by getting really loud. A hostage negotiator may get out of control by getting real quiet. And you're like, oh, we're all about to die. Right. So, and, and, <laughs> They'll never find my body, right? They'll never find <laughs> true. Me. And so, yeah, I, I mean, he's human. He's he's like all of us. I think, um, just like on the real, like I have a baked into my mind memory. He just always like my kids see me go to work every day, and I have a black t shirt on and some gray pants and some Vans or some Converse. That's what I wear to work. And when I was in the universities, they saw me wear a suit every day. That was just what they see. My dad put on a bulletproof vest every day he went to work, and so. Like the idea, those guys go to work, those men and women go to work every day with this understanding that part of my uniform is I hope I come home and don't die. Mm -hmm. And over time, that pressure just builds, builds, builds. And that's why I've, I've done a lot of work with police over the years. Like there's a lot of relational challenges because that pressure is so high, so high. And then to get home after dealing with a death, telling a family that one of their loved ones has passed away, your case gets taken away because the feds just took it. And then you come home and your knuckleheaded 14-year-old just told some teacher off. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're going to get it. <laughs> and rightfully so, right? Rightfully so. Steph, what is one of the most asked questions we get about tell us a good story? Uh, do I really get that excited? <laughs> Besides that one. Oh, how do we get all these incredible guests? Correct. Yes. And some of our best conversations have been with guests who our listeners have reached out to us and said, you should talk to this person. To name just a few, Nick Vujicic, 
Coach Tom Ryan, Carol Mutika were all recommendations from our listeners. So if there's someone you would like us to interview and think they might be a great fit for Tell Us a Good Story, please let us know at kevinandsteph.com. You don't even have to personally know them. True, but do me a favor. Before you submit their names, please make sure they are still alive. (laughs) That has actually happened, and it is super hard for me to find their contact information. But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Steph. Next fun fact. Dr. John, he briefly mentioned this. He's had a fascinating career. Okay, so before joining Ramsey Solutions, Dr. John was a high school teacher in Houston for several years. Then he ended up working in higher education for almost 20 years Mm. as a dean of students. Oh! Then... He spent several years on top of that working with the police department in Lubbock, Texas, doing death notifications in crisis service. So what does that entail, Dr. John? I was going to say, I don't know what that is. The crisis stuff? The The death death notifications. Oh, yeah. So I was on a team called Victim Services Unit. And so it was a patrol unit that an old psychology professor of mine, he's he's turned into a great friend, but um, someone I hold very dear and and consider one of my most important mentors in my life, Dr. Andy Young. He was a counselor and a mental health counseling professor. He's a psychology professor at a local university. And so he got a police radio and he would just show up and sit outside in his own car and say, hey, guys, I'm here in case you all need anything. And fast forward, um, he had a team of 40, 30 or 40 of us that were somehow affiliated with the mental health profession in some shape, form or fashion. And um, we were all part of a call out. So I would get a, a text message in the middle of the night and it would just say 1087 or 1056, it would just give us a police code. And 1087 was the code that somebody was deceased. And it could be a two-year-old. It could be a 98-year-old. And then it would have an address. And then you just show up. And when it was kids, they tried to call out. um, Or if it was a suicide where I had to let some parents know, then they would try to let us give us a heads up. But often we rolled into these situations and it was just whatever is there is whatever is there. And um, you have about 30 seconds to show up for somebody in the darkest moment of their life. And so, yeah, for years I would, I would do that. And then over time you gain trust with the police officers because they see how you handle these. And then they ask you about their marriage and, Hey, can we talk? And so I credit that season in my life with saving my own life, but also giving me a lot of tools that I have used since then showing up with folks. Cause you end up in some wild, wild situations. Oh, mm, That's amazing. Yeah. I don't even want to ask for stories about that. Cause I'm sure it's tough. You've, yeah. You've only seen, Lots of blood and guts and yeah, lots oh, of yeah. Just, just madness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I just mentioned, you've done multiple different roles. So what do you tell young people who are looking at potential career options? And which leads me, can you share the story with staff about what happens when you talk to like numerous students in law school and you ask them, why are you doing this? Can you share that story with staff and what advice you give young people? I tell young people, hey, relax, chill out. And this obsession with specialization, I think, is is not wise. I think it's best to become very, very good at skills that matter to you and that matter in your particular job and seek to find the skills beneath the skills. What do I mean by that? A good dean of students has to be a good writer because you're writing reports that are going to end up in court. You have to be a good writer because you have to write these students letters so they can get into grad schools and doctorate programs. You have to be a good writer because you have to write emails back to parents and parents are upset because their kids are hurting or they're scared because their kids are hurting or whatever's going on. So you have to be a good writer. And so you can get really obsessed with trying to be the dean of students. But man, if you become a great writer, 
and the dean of students job goes away, you still have that skill. Or if you are very good at sitting with people in hard conversations, my career started with student conduct issues, right? Students who had done a thing, they had drugs in the residence hall, or they had assaulted somebody. And their college career at the moment is over. They are kicked out of a university and sitting with them and saying, okay, here's how we're, what we're going to do next. And here's your path back if you ever want to come back. And here's how I'm going to help you navigate this legal system. So learning how to sit with people when the wheels have fallen off. And I was terrible at it for the first few years I did it. That allowed me to be a dean of students. That allowed me to get another PhD in counseling. That allows me to sit with people in the middle of the night. It allows me to um, sit with my wife and say, hey, our marriage has gotten off the rails. What do we need to do? And so that particular skill in my case, I would found myself I was good at it. And also, I got really good at that skill, and it was transferable. So as my jobs have morphed over time, I really believe in following the next fun, cool thing. I'm not one of the – like. I think the worst advice you give a young person is to tell them to follow their passion. It's a terrible idea, and it's a terrible idea to tell somebody to follow their heart too. Like Most of us are become very passionate about what we're good at, and we become what good at what we practice over and over and over again. And for 99% of us, there's the Kobe Bryants out there. But for most of us, we practice what we're made to practice, what we're told to practice. So I would tell a young person, get a job and become really great at that job and become really fun to work with. Yes. And like be a person that people want in the room. That's how you get in the room, right? A, you know what you're talking about. And B, people want you in there because you're fun or you're exciting or you're having – you add adventure to the room. You're not like, oh, geez, let's not have Dan come in. So those are the two things, man. And the, probably the third thing is be really, really good at your craft. If you get hired to be a writer, be the best. If you get hired to clean, be the best cleaner there is. And um, that will get you a long, long way. Um, remind me about the law students. I used to speak to so many law students. I've, I don't remember that story. You would ask, why are you here? And most of them are, would say, because my parents wanted me to be here or my dad wanted uh, me to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is so many, especially in med students, law students, there's so, so many of those students are living out the dreams of their parents. Yes. Um, and sometimes not even only the parents, they're living out the dreams of an entire community, right? An entire group of people who invested really into this person. And so I would always remind law students that that's not going to get you very far. That's going to get you a life of angst and frustration. And the greatest gift you can give your parents, even though they may not know it yet, is to find something that you're really, really good at that you can support your family with. And then over time you grow to love. And then over time you grow to really become passionate about that's the greatest gift to your parents, even though they don't know it yet. And you suffering and being miserable, doing a job that you hate, that is killing you like law can do to you. If you're not all in on it, they don't want to lose their son or daughter. I promise mm. you. And so have the hard conversation now, save everybody $150,000 and then Go be about busting it and whatever it is you're going to do that comes next. Don't quit law school to go do something easy. That's not what I'm saying. But go do something really hard and really well, but that you, you're, you're interested in. Okay, Steph. In 2020, Dr. John joined Ramsey Solutions, where he teaches on relationships, mental health, leadership, and emotional wellness. So, Dr. John, can you share the story of how you ended up at Ramsey Solutions because oh, this is this isn't what you set out to do. No, it's the opposite. It's exact. Uh, every time I I have like a rough interview or rough day, I'm like, what am I doing? Right. So, <laughs> um, I'll tell you this, but I'll also preface it with this. I know how annoying this is, 
to anybody who has ever wanted to do this for a living. I know how annoying this is for folks who have been absolutely beating their head against the wall month after month, year after year, trying to build something special. I 100% get how annoying this is. I get it. So here's the truth and reality. This is 100% how it happened. No exaggeration. I took a job, my dream job at Belmont University here in Nashville. It's a phenomenal school. It's one of the best in the country at what it does. And so my wife and I moved to Nashville. Our marriage was hanging on by a piece of dental floss. It was barely hanging together. And we got here. It was a mess. And I was trying to get settled into a new state. I'd left all my friends and family. She left all her friends and family. We have a youngster and, a, and an infant. And it's just a bad deal. So things are not great. And then I jump into this world-class university. They are running at a million miles an hour. And I was used to running at like 10,000 miles an hour. So it's just there's there's getting in shape for this new thing I'm a part of. And then her beloved grandmother passes away. So we have to go back to the, the town we had just spent a month cutting ties with, all that stuff. We got to go back. And then they told me, hey, you have to give a speech to incoming parents about your vision for Belmont. And I remember my exact quote was, I don't have a vision. I've only worked here four days and I have to go back to this funeral. And they were like, ah, well, we have you for an hour. And I was like, an, a What? I think actually they had me for about 15 minutes. I forgot all about it. I go to this funeral. My wife and I start talking about what would it look like? We got to rebuild everything. And what does this look like for us? And I head back, I get back and I think I'm just going to assume it's a Monday. And Monday, someone comes in and goes, are you ready? And I was like, for what? And they're like, for your big talk this afternoon. And I'd given a million speeches to parents and students. And for some reason, this time I pulled out my laptop and I just started typing. And it was more of like a, it was like the Jerry Maguire moment. Like, hey, kids, y'all have to start being different. And moms and dads, y'all got to chill out. And, and so it was a very much from my core, my guts. Turns out, I thought it was a couple hundred people. There's a thousand people in this beautiful theater on the campus. And it ends in this rousing standing ovation, which I've never seen happen with a dean of students talking to incoming students. But in that audience was Dave Ramsey's executive vice president. And she said, I'm hiring that guy right there. And um, then they had me come out to do a, a talk and I did it and it went very well. And again, I didn't know I was in an interview. I thought I was just being a good community member as part of my, as a dean of students, you're speaking to local businesses okay. and stuff on the regular. And so I just came out to do my neighborly thing and a chance to meet Dave, who was a childhood hero of mine. That was kind of cool. And then I went back and then they asked me to come back again and they asked me to be a consultant on a video project they did and about higher ed and student loans. And then one day after one of the events, they're like, hey, uh, can we get coffee? And I was like, oh, wow. And ta-da, here I am. <laughs> and then I quit everything to be a YouTuber, as my son called me. <laughs> and that was literally three years ago. Yeah, um, it was about 18 months of back and forth. I knew about nine months in, oh, oh, I'm in an interview process. And I just loved, loved, loved my community there at Belmont. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the students. I loved everything about it. And um, so it was really challenging, but also it was one of those once in a lifetime. I mean, right. good grief. And right. I started uh, January 28th or January 20th or 28th of 2020 with no idea what was coming. No idea. And so just uh, the timing was was pretty extraordinary. What a God moment. No like, kidding. It just shows how God just orchestrates every little detail without us knowing, but he's always behind the scenes. And how many people? And starting in March 
of 2020, how many people needed help with anxiety, with fear, with depression, with loneliness, which this guy mm-hmm. is an expert on. Mm-hmm. Talk about timing, right? It's wild. It's just wild. Yeah. Okay. So since you've been with the organization, have you had any pinch me moments of, hey, I'm being interviewed by Jordan Peterson or I met this person? Have you had any pinch me moments over the last three and a half years? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all the time. There was one, I walked into a, an event that I was speaking on with Dave and several others and they had gift bags for all the speakers. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I got a photo of it in a row. It was Jay Leno. The next bag was Nick Saban. The next bag was Jocko. The next bag was John Deloney. And I remember going, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Navy SEAL is amazing. One of the greatest football coaches of all time. One of the greatest comedians of all time. And that goofball, right? So, I dude, I get that. I have pinch me moments all the time. Like I can't. Like I was just with Mike Rowe the other day. I'm just like, what? Are, what is happening? Oh yes. Here? So there's just a, the whole thing. And let's like it's not even the famous people. Like when you surround yourself with world class talent, that talent is often the bottom of the talent scales in front of the camera. Dude, I get to work with the best PR people on the planet. I get to work with the best lighting and sound folks that exist. And these guys who craft shows, like they're in, uh, they're unfathomable how amazing they are. And I'm like, I got this great idea. And a guy will storyboard it and be like, here's where this is not going to work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a genius. <laughs> and so it's, those are all pinch me moments too. Whenever a guy explains to me he's dedicated his life to lighting stages and here's why he's so good at it. And he walks me, I was like, Oh, dude, you you make me in the audience feel something about what's about to happen. I didn't even know you were doing it. He's like, yep. And so being around that level of world class, I, those are all pinch me moments, man. They're amazing. Hmm. All right, Steph. Earlier this year, Dr. John celebrated 21 years of marriage with his wife, Sheila. So, Dr. John, how does this all work at home? Because you've got two PhDs. You'll be hosting a Ramsey Money and Marriage Getaway Conference in October. You know things. So is your wife always like, hey, John, stop telling me what to do. I'm right? so going to say that. Because yes. like th- that crap's not going to work at home yes. here, John. All right. <laughs> so- Don't psychoanalyze this. <laughs> no. So how does well, this work at home? <laughs> so here's what's amazing. And this isn't like humble guy. This is honest to God truth. My wife was Dr. Deloney long before me. I think a year before I was. Really? So she had, was a PhD person way before me. In fact... Truth be told, no chance I finished my first doctorate without her because I didn't understand the process. I was I was not good at research mechanics, right, at the methodologies of it all. I didn't get it all. And so having her as a mentor ahead of me that was like, hey, you need to call this person. Here's the name of somebody that I worked with that was excellent on editing. So without her, none of this is possible, period. And she is a savant at working with, like her specialty was teaching teachers how to teach kids how to read. So she's a curriculum instruction person, but it's it's literacy. And so her whole world was teaching teachers how to set up environments where kids could learn. And then the very practical skills, all of that's relational. And so in the first year of doing my show, it was very common for me to come home and be like, hey, someone's calling tomorrow and they're going to ask about this. And her response be, Oh, for God's sakes, don't answer it that way. Please don't say that out loud in public. And I was like, why? And she goes, because that's really dumb. And so, again, in our rule in our house has always been, since we were both in grad school, like, I'm never going to care what you're researching and what you're passionate about. I'm just not. I'm never going to care. And you're never going to care about me. Let's don't just bombard each other with the thing of our day. Let's be 
hospitable. And if I have a question about it, I she loves to talk about it. And that has really served us well. And so I wait in our house until she says, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Because often she just wants to be heard and she wants to be listened to. And so the counseling skills work there. Um, but when it comes to like, adv- I don't do a lot of advicey kind of things. Occasionally I'll say, hey, our kids are exhibiting this behavior. We need to do this. And she'll say, yeah, you're right. Or she'll say, hey, our youngest kid is doing this. That's my world. We need to do this. And I'm like, you're right. So I think we work pretty good together. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Steph, final fun fact here. Dr. John is a two-time national best-selling author for Redefining Anxiety and Own Your Past, Change Your Future. He's also the author of the new book called Building a Non-Anxious Life, which I'm assuming, Dr. John, anxiety is probably... It has to be huge It has right to now. be the biggest thing, huge. the most common thing that people ask you. Yes. So can you tell us more about this book? Yeah, I mean, it, it all came from a conversation with Dave. People were calling in all the time on the Ramsey show about, hey, I'm so anxious. I'm so burned out. I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. And one time off air, I was like, dude, anxiety is not the problem. Mm. And he kind of looked at me and I said, anxiety is just an alarm system, man, letting you know you're not okay. It's all these other things. And he pointed at me as he does sometimes. And he said, you need to write that down. Or he goes, there's your first book or something like this. So I wrote a tiny little quick read and it was like 60 something pages or 70 pages. And it just went bananas. And so that's when I think as a company, there was like, people are desperate for this info and not market in the crass way, but like there are moms and dads trying to figure out what to do next. And nobody's giving this information in a way they can hear it. And so it was supposed to be a business card. And then it ended like a quick, thin business card that I could hand out to people. And then it ended up on the bestseller list. And then it just went, it has not stopped. And then therapists started buying it by the case just to, because it was so simple to read and they could Mm -hmm. hand it to their clients. And so then, I mean, there was a circle back and said, hey, three years later, two and a half years later, do you have anything else to say? And I said, yeah, after traveling the country, touring the country and just sitting with people from single moms trying to figure out what to do to gajillionaire business owners, I think we're missing the boat completely. Um, and then I've been able to circle back and be in touch with some of my uh, my research nerd colleagues the, in the medical field and in the, in the mental health spaces. And I think everyone's kind of stepping back saying, whoa, whoa, whoa anxiety is not the problem at all. We've created these lives that our bodies can't exist in. And so really this this book is me taking all the nerdy neuroscience and all that stuff and really saying, okay, if you want to go down a rabbit hole of how oxytocin works and how dopamine works, Go listen to the Andrew Huberman show. That guy's brilliant. He's very kind. He's a funny guy. Go listen to that show. If you want how the medical system works, go listen to Dr. Peter Atiyah's show. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind. This book is me sitting down at a table at a restaurant, leaning forward saying, hey, you're not broken. Your body's doing exactly what it's designed to do in this chaotic world we've built for it. Let's look at these areas where you can start making changes so that your body won't go to war with you every single day. And so I, I just said, okay, what are 
what is a way that we can communicate this science and this ancient wisdom? How can we put all this down where people can say, okay, I've got these six domains in my life. I can make choices in on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. And if I lean into these areas over time, the anxiety alarms will only ring when necessary and just not all the time. Oh, that's so good. Do you feel like it's increased with COVID? I think COVID um, just pulled a Band-Aid off of a world mm -hmm. that... So you've, you've heard the phrase from the great Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score, like, right? So we can go on our lives and just... Here's a good example, because I work at Ramsey, we'll use a money one. I can sit down with a car dealer and work out the numbers. Six years or seven years, no interest. Like, I'm not going to charge you a penny. You just pay me every month mathematically that's a phenomenal deal but there's a part of your brain designed to scan the environment 24 7 365 and let you know even before you think about it that you're not safe that you need to take action fight or flee or whatever that part of your brain knows if you say one thing at work and get fired your car is gone your home is gone you have no food for your kids because we've leveraged ourselves to the hilt right and so most people don't realize just how their body is running on them and running on them and running on. We learned it at COVID. We all kind of knew, man, we've outsourced a lot of our life, our manufacturing. We've outsourced where they make medicine. We've kind of just all in the sake of getting a good deal, which was awesome until no one's allowed to do anything. We can't get medicine and we can't get car parts and we can't get, I mean, so I think we all knew our body was keeping the score. We all had that uneasy feeling. I think COVID just ripped the Band-Aid off of it. Or couples who had just been on autopilot and letting their kid's soccer coach tell them what they're doing for the next 42 weekends of their life. Um, and if they don't, their kid won't make the high school team. If they don't make the high school team, they'll make the college team. If they don't make the college team, they're going to do drugs and end up – and none of that's true. Mm -hmm. And – well, I mean, it might be true, but mostly <laughs> it's not going to be true. And so – I mean, COVID stuck everybody in the house and yeah. couples across the country looked at each other and they were like, oh, I don't like you either. <laughs> or what has happened to us? What have we become? And so I think COVID was the fire in the living room that let you know your house had a lot of junk in it and it's pretty combustible. But I don't I don't blame COVID for any of this stuff. I think our response, somebody asked me this, I'll, I'll say it this way. Somebody asked me this on, a, on an interview on a national media hit and I usually don't get surprised. This one caught me off guard. They asked about, you know, is masks ruin kids for the next hundred years or something? And what I said just without thinking was, you know what? Kids are very, very resilient. They're amazingly resilient. I think our kids are going to be fine from this. What is killing our kids is that adults have gone home and have gotten so raged out and so angry and so fearful and so yelling. That's what's going to lo have a long-term impact on our kids' nervous systems is being around adults who scare them. And that was a millions and millions and millions of, of us, right? And I think you, we now have a world where we don't trust our education system. We don't trust the government. We don't trust the medical establishment. We don't trust scientists. We don't trust anybody. And we pulled all the trust tethers on the pillars of our home. And now we're going, uh-oh, what's holding us up, right? And that's just a scary moment in history for us all. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, listeners, for more information about Dr. John and to get his new book, you can go to his website, johndeloney.com. Also, you can follow him on social media and his YouTube channel at John Deloney. Oh, and his social media. Okay, your Instagram. Very I good. Love it. Very I good. Love it because you will give like helpful hints, but it's like 30 seconds. Or 45 seconds. It's not like I'll click on it and it's like a five-minute conversation. So it's like short and sweet. I'm like, oh, I got that. 
It's so, so, so good, Dr. John. So well, I appreciate that. I've got little notes and almost always those notes are notes to myself. When I say like, hey, don't yell, that's a note to myself. Or when I say, hey, hug your kids and touch their face, that's a note to myself as a reminder to me because I may have just blown it in a situation. And those tend to resonate in, in a way that I didn't anticipate. And then I've got a team here that cuts the show down in little bite-sized chunks just so mm. people can digest it. So yeah, thank it's you fantastic. so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir, again for saying yes to us. This was so much fun. Like I said, we love your personality. This sounds like we're talking to a long lost friend here. So thank yes. you for saying yes to us. Dr. You are. John. I don't have any friends. I've got two new ones. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> thank you, sir. No, hey, blessings to you guys. I'm grateful for y'all. And, and by the way, this, y'all are incredible at this. Y'all are oh, so good at this, man. Thank you. Like, this is, this John, is the funnest you. podcast I've been on in a while. So it's Shut awesome. up. No. Are you serious? Yeah, because everybody wants to know all the dark and like, hard stuff and they want to know like all the nerd stuff and you guys want to like the fun stuff help people who are at home mm -hmm. yeah it's awesome it's great oh, fantastic thank you that was a god moment for us that so was. I'm so thankful for that friends we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this whether it's on the Apple Podcast app iHeartRadio Spotify or one of the other platforms you guys it's completely free and while you're there feel free to give us a rating or a nice review thank you for listening to tell us a good story